Hello, my pod people. This is Historical AF. My name is Natalie. I'm Kina. We are a historian and a librarian delivering you the funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Yep. My bad. And today is episode 66, bringing you TV part two. I feel like this is another one of my expert things. Not as long of a rant as music, but pretty good. <laughs> Favorite pastime. Mm-hmm. I also want to thank Insanely Haunted Podcast for joining us for part one. I know. They're so cool. They and are. They just have such better voices. <laughs> you know, this like butter. It's just like yep. cool and like soothing. This is sad. I feel like I just sound like a pterodactyl scream 90% of the time. Fine. We're not self-conscious at all. Yeah, I feel like a mumbling hick. <laughs> we're so glad they joined us. And yes, they're very cool. We're going to be on their podcast. All our guests have just been so fantastic. They're all so funny. They are. I have not been disappointed by anybody. I know. We're not even lying. <laughs> like I'm not even faking it right now. Like, <laughs> I think that's the most we've ever talked about Zach Bagans ever, and probably the most we'll ever talk about Zach Bagans. But the I don't band- know. I they if they're really willing to come back, I'd love it, and we could just do a Bagans episode of our own, uh, and they can be our experts. I'm down for that. I am too. Good times. So. What's your favorite TV show of all time? Oh. <laughs> Lord. Okay, well, it, it kind of depends on how you want to go about it. Like, there are shows I can watch over and over and over. But there's also shows that are just really good. And with, like, surprising twists or really good writing. Some shows I can watch over and over is Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, that's a good one. I constantly play that on my phone. And I wish Netflix would update. They took off the old original series. They had a couple of seasons on there. They took it off, but they still have the reboot. So I've seen the reboot. I I don't know how many times. It's so odd. I don't know. Family Guy is something I have almost every episode memorized. American Dad. All of those, just all of them. King of the Hill, all of those adult cartoons just lumped together. Avatar, Last Airbender, I've rewatched that, but it's one of my favorite childhood ones. What's some of your favorites? Like childhood, I grew up in like the peak of Nickelodeon, so I feel like, like, Are You Afraid of the Dark, Ren and Stimpy, some weird shit. I've always been into the weird shit, but I love Bob's Burgers, Doctor mm-hmm. Who. Uh, recently, I'm like obsessed. I love Shit's Creek. I just binged that. Oh, I love Shit's Creek. So funny. And then I just finished uh, What We Do in the Shadows. So it just changes. I do love comedies probably more than anything else. Like, I love dramas. I loved Game of Thrones, True Blood, like stuff like that, like Westworld. I like those, but they're really dark. And uh, I just really like the funny ones I can just watch over and over and over again. Like Gilmore Girls. I love the I love the people that do Gilmore Girls. They do the marvelous Mrs. Maisel too. I like their Ah, that's a good yeah, that's a good one too. They do like a really fast 
comedy. Like everybody talks really fast and everything's really witty and just like I really enjoy those. Like classics, I remember like Nick at Night, you know, Bewitched and I Dream a Genie. I was never really a Brady Bunch kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really watch many of those. I did watch some Three's Company, like the stuff that came out on around nine o'clock is what I remember. Oh, Parks and Rec. How's it going? I love Parks and Rec. It's <laughs> Parks and Rec and The Office. Those are kind of classics at this point. God, there's just a lot of, I don't know, TV is a good escape. And I love that now TV has, I guess I I really blame Netflix. It's now got movie quality to it. They're now getting A-listers to be part of TV series. I like that. Big Little Lies. That's a really good show Mm -hmm. with a lot of great cast. Just watched Hannibal. That That was what was pretty good. Oh, I think that'll be my next binge. Yes, Hannibal it's, good. it's so gross though. Oh, is it very bloody? <laughs> I mean, it's bloody, and I'm like, I wonder how many times they had to dry clean their shit. Um, <laughs> because it is constant, like every scene, every every episode is gory, and then he's all about you know Hannibal's all about cooking, so like he has lots of like close up meat chopping it up and whatnot, cooking it. And as a vegetarian, I'm like, oh god, that's gross. But even as a carnivore, it should be gross too, because that's supposed to be a person. Yeah. Yeah. So the other way. I don't know. But I recommend it. And it's got some some fun guests like Molly Shannon and oh, Eddie Izzard. Cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I agree. Dion, Joss Whedon shows Buffy was one of the shows when I was like a teenager that was really my jam. Ooh, supernatural. Oh, Supernatural. Oh, yeah. I think Even I, though I know it doesn't, I know the show doesn't get as good like as time goes on. I think it's amazing. I love it. I still love it. Like Supernatural, me and my sister, like their relationship, just like the bond they have. My sister's always like, oh, I just love it because, you know, I love you like they love each other and blah, blah, blah. So I, I know. <laughs> Occasionally, Emery and I would go, like, Sam, Dean. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like yelling it across the apartment. <laughs> personally i've always loved tv because it's like an escape and i can remember like parts of my life like what i was watching and into and stuff like when zeke and i first started dating we started watching dr who so that was like a huge part of like when we met and it just it's such a nerdy thing to be like tv means so much to me But yeah. it does. Oh. Well, I mean, it's storytelling and imaginative, and that's just yeah. cool. But like TVs are always a big part. Like my grandpa, he had a TV shop back when like t- TVs were rare. You know, he had a TV repair <laughs> shop, so like it's always been a part of my my family. And the really serial cool. killer incident uh, that was yeah. TV related too. <laughs> <laughs> my grandpa hired a serial killer. Fun times. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember in college Thursday afternoons, I'd go over to my grandparents to do laundry. And my papa and I would watch Judge Judy. Aww. So we did every Thursday. We watched Judge Judy while I was doing my laundry. And and papa always like, ah, yeah, Judy got him. He <laughs> <Like, laughs> had this little commentary. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. My my people, we would watch Looney Tunes, like the classic, the Roadrunner. He'd always do that. Beep, beep. <laughs> like, ugh, good times. That's cool. 
Oh man, so we want to jump. Yeah, jump what do you have? Weird and random. Um, um, real quick, feel free to guys on all of our social media, like write in some of your favorite shows. I'm always looking for new stuff to watch or to like, oh my god, I forgot about that. I need to rewatch that. So feel free to put in your favorite stuff. Yeah, or if you have like a really cool story about like TV, I mean, like we said, our grandparents, we have stories and Mm-hmm. Send, send us an email. Let us let us know about your TV experiences. Just dancing away. Okay. Which would you like? Random or weird? Um, let's let's get weird. Okay. That's good. I think I'm excited for my random, so I think that's kind of good to have it last. Weird with an H. I've got a couple of things. And one, so my first little random list is weird TV shows. Yes. We're just going to do some weird ones. So in Japan, there's an ep- there's a show called Don't Laugh. And it is literally it's literally just somebody there and someone does stupid shit like a big guy walking in too tiny of a bathing suit or <laughs> or Japanese students that are butchering English language, like whatever they think is funny or might think you're funny, that is all that's about. And if you giggle, you're out. You lose. Oh, I would lose so fast. Oh my gosh, no, you get beaten with a stick. Oh no. It's <laughs> <laughs> harsh. Japanese game shows nice. don't don't fool around. <laughs> it's always like wow. a punishment. So be careful. <laughs> so man versus beast. In 2003, this reality TV show. <laughs> apparently they were sick of watching themselves fans were so they had the chance to watch animals do the honor so this american show animals engaged humans in various feats of of just doing random shit like it was a bear against a man and a hot dog eating contest uh-huh. <laughs> and an ape once raced a navy seal in an off school course I'm and 44 40- Little people faced off against an elephant in an airplane pulling match. Oh no! What? Why? For the TV ratings, I guess. I don't know. I'm assuming that humans lost every one of those. Now this is 2003 as well. Like this is now before. I mean, I I know people. It still feels like it's recent, but this is tw- almost 20 years ago now. Oh, don't say that. That's when I graduated. Sorry, 17 years ago, if you want to be more exact. (laughs) (laughs) So this is 17 years ago. and Sorry, Kina. And, you know, we we talk about things have changed just so much in our lifetime of what's more okay and what's not. Mm -hmm. And anyways, and who knows? Maybe that's why the show got canceled. This show did not last long. So (laughs) surprise, surprise. (laughs) Armed and Famous, this reality TV show took grade B celebrities and trained them to be cops. And they worked in the police department for a little bit in Indiana. And it turns out that celebrities with badges didn't only produce bad entertainment, but they produced bad police work. Because Jack Osborne and Latoya Jackson got the show sued when they mixed up their addresses and ransacked the wrong house. Oh no, that's really unfortunate. Whoops. <laughs> no. Luckily, it was just ransacked, not 
injury or anything like that. But yeah, I know. Imagine like hey, <sighs> like that's what happened to Brianna Taylor. Like I know that's God. where my brain went to. Oh God, fuck those cops! Why aren't they all in jail? Okay. Yep. All right, moving on. Whisker Wars. Have any guesses what this is about? Is it is it kitties? Beards. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like a top beard reality show. Competitive with beards. Long, curly, all kinds of shape to it. It's like a sculpture of beards. What the fuck? Wow. Like manscaping? Basically. But think like a long beard and then they add all kinds of curls and waves and make it look like something. So like not quite chiseling, but we're shaping and molding the beard. Huh. And that's that's just the show? Yeah, it's a competition. Oh, okay. Here, I'll share my screen with the image that comes with the article. <laughs> so you can get the experience. <laughs> oh, yes, please. I want to experience it. Oh, that is quite curly. So that's what I mean by, like, shaping and molding. Like, it's all about style and design of it or whatnot. Oh dear. <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> All righty then. That's weird. I know. Yeah. And that's why it's part of the weird segment. That's why it's weird. Another one, the last one of these, I will say, is off the air. So, debuting in 2011 and still gracing the screens today is off the air and is one trippy TV experience. The show appears on Adult Swim. So, you know, it's given. <laughs> and it's at 4 a.m. So with no structure other than episode by episode themes, Off the Air is a stream of animations, uh, music videos, public service announcements, and the only vaguely related images that run one into the next with no breaks or explanations. Whether it makes more or less sense to the sleep-deprived devotees who watch it live at the time of day is unknown. And the picture of this is a green sloth. (laughs) I don't think I've ever watched anything that like premiered at 4 a.m. I don't have TV, so I I don't don't even have access to that. Yeah, I wasn't even sure there were shows. I thought it was just all like commercials. On some shows, it's, yeah, paid advertisement. Some channels. Just somehow. Uh, what are they called? Uh, oh, crap. Those commercial things. What are they called? Okay. Good story, Kina. Okay. Um, a couple more weird fun facts. This is just fun facts of TV. So on the Andy Griffith show, Andy has upside down maps of Idaho behind his desk. Why are they upside down? It doesn't say. I think someone <laughs> just hung them up wrong and they never fixed it. Oh. But they got fired. God damn it, Peter. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it happened in the early episodes. I guess eventually got fixed, but not for a while. <laughs> oh. The Brady Bunch's back door doesn't have glass. And so, that's actually to keep light from reflecting. But if you look closely enough, you can tell it doesn't have glass. Okay, well, that makes sense. At least that's like for a reason versus like, oops. <laughs> the angels... Name from Charlie's Angels came from an old office painting owned by Frank Sinatra. 
And the angels look like little cupids. So like three little babies. <laughs> three little cupids. Uh. The flag in the opening credits of Gilligan's Island is actually at half mass because of the Kennedy assassination. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And actually has a picture of the scene of the opening of it. And you can see they've circled the flag. It is really far off. Like you'd have to look for this. I'm not going to lie. That's one of those obscure trivia night at the pub. There you go. If you have a Gilligan's thing, there you go. (laughs) The robot costume from Lost in Space. This is, of course, the old Lost in Space, the original one, not the remake. That costume weighed about 200 pounds. Oh, no. And cost $70,000. Holy hell, that's a lot of money. Today, that would be about half a million in cash. Oh, my God. And, and somebody was inside that, right? Like, was that one of those where people are puppeting? I believe so. Uh, let that's me read really Let's see. Bad. The robot for Lost in Space was designed by Robert Kinoshita, who also designed blah, blah, blah. And, okay, so in 1965, stuntman Bob May was rehearsing on a studio lot working as a double for red buttons. So I guess only parts of him oh. was it. So basically it was, I think it was more on wheels and he like triggered the lights and he could move the torso and the head, and the arms, but that's just uncomfortable. And it shows that he barely fit. Cause it was like a fiberglass suit. <laughs> it's just wow. crazy. That's so heavy. <laughs> it's just funny. Passengers paid thousands of dollars to be on board the love boat while filming. <laughs> I'd believe that. <laughs> me too. This one really got me. It was the network wanted to ditch Spock on Star Trek because How- he looked satanic. No. How dare <laughs> they? It's the ears. <laughs> satanic. Well, he just kind of looks like an elf. They're not satanists. Much. The Adams family was the first TV family to have a home computer, which is the size of a room. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Mr. Ed, you know, the horse, <laughs> consumed 20 pounds of hay and a gallon of sweet tea each day. Sweet tea? <laughs> That's Why? not all I could. <laughs> Why? I think because they just sat him in the stall and talked to him all day. Well, that can't be good for his teeth. Well, and they needed him to also chew and move his mouth so it looked like he was talking. Yeah. I heard, isn't that, yeah, didn't they use peanut butter? They did. Yeah. But you would think, like, the sweet tea would hurt their teeth. And with all those extreme close-ups of his mouth, you think they would have been a little bit more responsible. Well, they probably washed, brushed his teeth. Like, I don't know to keep a horse alive. They have to, like. Do dental work. Yeah. Emory described it to me once, like how they have to cut into their teeth and everything. And it's like, it was so painful, but they have to do it. I can't remember why, but it's it's kind of like we cut our wisdom teeth out. Like it's oh. coincides kind of like that. So, I mean, hopefully he didn't just rot of cavities and that's how he died. I don't know. Oh, no. But either way, that's a hell of a lot of hay to eat. That is. And I wouldn't want him to bite me because I'm sure he's got like jaws like no other. Yeah. So two more and 
One is a famous board game inventor designed the weaponry for the man from Uncle. U-N-C-L-E. It's like an old... I don't know that. It's like older people will get that reference. Like, no, this is <laughs> my mom will get, or my grandpa. Yeah, um, young. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. I can't remember what Uncle is about. It, I think it's the like best. a spy movie. A spy show. It makes me think of The Million Dollar Man. Oh, um, the Bionic Woman. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I said that I mentioned this, but I'm like, oh, I've actually never seen this. I've heard the title before. Like, I know my dad has watched it, and I think my grandpa has watched this. Premiered in 1964. Uh, last is from Mork and Mindy. Mork's costume previously appeared on Star Trek. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he had a red jumpsuit, so I guess maybe it makes me think he was like kicked out of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the joke? Isn't it the red one? You're they gonna... die off. Yeah, that's a Ooh, one more. The Alfred Hitchcock hours famous profile. You know, like he has that little profile sketch. Yeah. For Alfred Hitchcock's hours, it's actually was made for a Christmas card. Really? Yeah. Was it like his Christmas card, like? Merry Christmas, you get my face. <laughs> and it says, legend has it that the men... Animalus? Nope, that's not right. My dyslexia is picking it hard. So they said that the sketch of Hitchcock's bus was made by the director of a holiday greeting back when he was in England. So in other words, they've used this template in British greeting cards. Oh, cool. Because that sketch is like is so simple mm-hmm. that it can really be designed for anything. Because so. like at a glance, to me, it looks almost like a snowman. <laughs> it does. Anyway, so that is some really crazy, weird TV shows and just some weird facts of classic shows in the past. I loved it. I didn't know a lot of that. Were <laughs> <laughs> <No>. any. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was cool to go the older route versus New York because I figured yeah. it'd be less known. It's true. Plus, like, classic TV shows got, like, a just a lot of cool trivia to them. Especially because they were kind of newer to the whole TV situation. Well, and they got a lot of the first, you know, like, the first computer on TV, the first biracial kiss on TV. That was Star Trek. And the first yeah. this, the first that. So they got all the first. Yeah, and so we need to appreciate that. We do. Wasn't it? Oh, which one was it? The first couple in bed together was it? Oh, uh, was it Lucy? I think so. I know they're at least one of the first, if not the first. Oh no, the first couple shown in bed together on primetime TV was Fred and Wilma. Flintstone uh. <laughs> wasn't even a real person. Well, you can get away with more on cartoons. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I remember that because, like, I love Lucy and those. They had separate beds. I think same with Bewitched. I don't remember. It's kind of weird. And plus, like, I like I dream of Janie. She couldn't show her navel. I was like, well, that's an odd thing that your TV won't let, allow you to have. TV rules are weird. That would that would be like a whole episode of all the rules TV shows have to abide. Which I don't know if you guys have been 
by the time this comes out, this is old news, but Hamilton, for them to put it on Disney Plus, they had to agree. I know, the censor. But I thought it was so funny. Lynn Manuel Miranda was all like, I literally gave up two fucks. <laughs> I gave two fucks to make this PG. So yeah, there's three total. Yeah. Somewhere. I think I just thought it was funny. It's like, all right. Yeah. But still, like, it's only three. <laughs> I know. It's just three. I just, that rule that it can only be one before it becomes rated R. And I'm like, okay. Like, like we literally talk about killing him. But I'm like, contact. You're saying, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, by the time this comes out, it's already on Disney Plus. So we all know. So good story, Keenan. <laughs> <laughs> all right are you ready for my historical yep all right so i'm a nerd this is all known and when i think of television in history i think of doctor who because it is just the longest running thing ever so whovians unite i could start singing the do we do and i even have my sonic screwdriver i am ready so my nerd's really going to show. You can say I'm a big fan. I have a TARDIS in my living room. I've only mentioned it a thousand times. I have no shame. But the show has so much history to it. And it's such a significant part of British popular culture that I just thought it was a really fun topic to cover. And it's an understatement to say that it has gained a cult following over the decades. Because it's probably one of the biggest fandoms out there. Doctor Who is a British science fiction series produced by the BBC. It first aired on Saturday, November 23rd, 1963, the day after JFK's assassination. Which is interesting because you're talking about Gilligan's hat was half-masked from JFK, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Have you ever watched Doctor Who? Um, bits. Bits of it. We'll see. So I, I know what you're talking about. Like, I know about the screwdriver. And yeah, like yeah. It aired weekly between 5 and 6 p.m. And it was designed to fit comfortably between a more adult show like The Grandstand and a more teenage-focused show like The Jukebox Jury. I have no idea what the fuck that is, but sounds like a good time. It is by far the longest-running popular drama series in the history of television, but that's not including soap operas. They're in a league of their <laughs> We're just not going to talk about that. It originally ran from 1963 to 1989. There was an unsuccessful attempt to revive it in 1996, but it flopped. And then in 2005, it was relaunched. And since then, it's been produced by BBC Wales and Cardiff. It has also spawned numerous spinoffs, including comic books, films, novels, audio dramas, and television series like Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, Canine, and most recently, recently class in 2016 and it's also been a subject of so many parodies and references in pop culture you can't count them the original concept for doctor who was for it to be a specifically educational program aimed at teaching kids about science and history who knew (laughs) in an interview with bbc waris Hussan, who directed the first episode said the series was quote meant to be educational for kids. We were trying to educate kids about certain things about the human condition. And then even like to more hammer that in the two original main characters were science and history teachers. Oh. Like I'm a fan, but I was not an OG fan. I wasn't born yet. So I can't be one of those people. Like I remember the first episode wasn't alive. 
But uh, I always found the earlier episodes interesting because they were so low budget and so wildly different from what you see today. But that's part of it. They were just trying to be like a PBS type show. I just love it. A lot of the early stories were pure history and they had no aliens. The history was phased out at the end of the 60s because the alien settings were more popular. Like, enough with your history. Let's go to some planet. <laughs> Fun fact, Doctor Who was partly inspired by Sherlock Holmes and the 4th and 11th Doctors both dressed like Sherlock at some point. So who or what is the Doctor, a.k.a. the Time Lord, a.k.a. the Madman with a Box? Firstly, the Doctor is not from Earth. He is an alien called the Time Lord from the planet Gallifrey. He may look human, but there are subtle differences like he has two hearts and can regenerate. Only a few people know the Doctor's real name. So the audiences only know him as the Doctor. The Time Lord does have a real name and only a few people know it, including the Master, River Song, who's his wife, and his longtime companion, Clara Oswald, which, hot take, is one of my favorite companions. And I know a lot of people are like, she sucked, but I liked her. Hashtag impossible girl. And the doctor may or may not be a doctor. According to the second doctor, the answer is yes, or at least he thinks so. In season four, he told his companion Polly, quote, or she asks, are you a medical doctor? To which he replies, yes, I think I was once, Polly. I took a degree once at Glasgow, 1888, I think. So, and Time Lords were considered to be one of the oldest and most powerful races in the universe. But after the Time Lords went to war against the Daleks and lost, the Doctor became the only known survivor. So, a little trivia for your uh, bar times, you know, because they always come with this obscure shit. So, the Doctor didn't technically become a Time Lord until 1969. The term itself was actually used in the series' sixth season in the episode War Games. And his home planet at Gallifrey wasn't mentioned until 1973. So this is an example of how the whole mythos of the Doctor has been evolving ever since. So everything that they set out to make Doctor Who, they had no fucking idea. They just made <laughs> it up as they go. Thirteen actors have headlined as the Doctor. William Hartnell, who played the first Doctor from 1963 to 1966, was having health problems toward the end of his run of the series. To ensure that the show could go on without its original star and to avoid enraging viewers... They decided to create the idea of regeneration, and it became part of the Doctor's mythology. And this is a genius plot device because it allows the Time Lord to transform into a new body when he's been too badly harmed to heal normally. So the show can go on forever because you can always have a new actor. Wasn't there the loophole, like only 12 Doctors, though, or something like that? Yeah, there's a loophole. <laughs> I'm like... I wish they they shouldn't have capped it. They're like, we can regenerate and just left it. So each actor's portrayal is unique and all represent different stages of the life of the same character. And together they form a single lifetime with a single narrative. So this like timey-wimey feature of the plot allows different incarnations to actually occasionally meet each other, which I find funny. One of my favorite episodes is the 50th anniversary where two of my favorite doctors are like together. (laughs) <laughs> so more trivia the doctor's regeneration is supposed to feel like a bad acid trip years after it was written in an uncovered internal bbc memo said that quote metaphysical change that would take place during the first doctor's 
regeneration would be as if he had the drug LSD. The memo explained, quote, and instead of experiencing the kicks, he has the hell and dank horror. I don't know what dank horror means, but doesn't sound great. It sounds like you're saying dank horror. (laughs) (laughs) So just real quick. So the first doctor was William Hartnell. And that was 1963 to 66. The second was Patrick Trofton. That was 66 to 69. John Pertwee. Oh, God. I'm going to. Oh, man. The nerds are going to kill me. Pertwee was the third, 1970 to 74. Tom Baker. And he's the guy with the really cool scarf that's very colorful. Everybody sees that in pop culture. He was 74 to 81. You have Peter Davison, 82 to 84. Colin Baker, 84 to 86. Sylvester McCoy, 87 to 89. Paul McGann was 1996. That's the one that flopped. And then they rebooted the newer doctors. You got Christopher Eccleston. Eccleston. Oh, my God. Eccleston. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, Christopher Eccleston. I probably still said that wrong. He was the ninth doctor, 2005. David Tennant, 10th doctor, 2005 to 2010. He's like overwhelmingly... All my friends' favorite doctors. And then hot take, mine's favorite is Matt Smith. And he was 2010 to 2013. Peter Capaldi was 2014 to 2017. And currently we have Jodie Whittaker, the first female woman doctor. 13th is 2018 to present. And 2013, John Hurt guest starred as the war doctor. And he was kind of like the runner up to the 50th anniversary special, the day of the doctor. RIP John Hurt. I love him. Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, had the longest tenure as a doctor. He played for seven years at 172 episodes. That's a long time. As far as the rebooted series go, David Tennant holds the record for six years and 47 years. Or 47 years. 47 episodes. And fun fact, David Tennant became an actor with a specific goal of playing the doctor. As a kid, he knew exactly what he, what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he wanted to be the star of Doctor Who. And it was Tom Baker's version, in particular, that inspired him to become an actor. He also carried around a Doctor Who doll and even wrote a Who-inspired essay at school. I just find that so adorable. So then, to further his involvement with the Doctor, in 2011, Tennant married Georgia Moffat, who played his artificially created daughter, Jenny, in a 2008 episode, The Doctor's Daughter. In real life, Moffat really is the Doctor's daughter. Her father is Peter Davison, who played the fifth Doctor. So David Tennant married the Doctor's daughter, who played the Doctor's daughter. Bless you. And then I thought this was just really heartwarming. So Georgia Moffat asked her son, Ty, who her favorite doctor was, and he named David Tennant because he runs so fast. So then when Moffat married Tennant, he adopted her son and he changed his name to Ty Tennant. So now his dad is his favorite doctor, too. I just find that so adorable. The 12th Doctor, Peter Capaldi, was also obsessed with the series as a kid. As a teenager, he created fan art and even managed to get some of it published. More than 40 years before he became the doctor, some BBC staffers already knew his name because he used to just like inundate them with letters requesting production photos. And then he begged them to name him president of the show's fan club. (laughs) I just find that so adorable. And then Benedict Cumberbatch and Hugh Grant both turned down the chance to play the doctor. Hugh Grant turned it down saying that it wasn't going to take off. He later expressed deep regret in 2007 after seeing how successful it had become. 
And not relevant, but Matt Smith auditioned to play Dr. Watson a week before he auditioned to play Dr. Who. But the person that does Sherlock and Dr. Who are the same person. So I'm really glad that I became the doctor because he's one of my favorites. And also without Matt Smith, you wouldn't have the famous bow ties are cool. And this is true. After he said bow ties are cool, sales for bow ties went up 94%. Yep. Making real cheap. Too bad. I feel like they should have gone up since Bill Nye, though. Me. literally have a poster in my living room that says bow ties are cool with the bow tie. <laughs> it's just like, yeah well i don't know if bill and i ever said they were cool but i just know yeah. he always wore a bow tie pretty much uh i just, love I just it. Like every it. time a doctor regenerates they always say some weird shit like oh a new kidney or you know new teeth or something weird you know <laughs> they like i i did get to enjoy like my friend my friend Carrie, not the Carrie that has guests, another Carrie that Carrie also knows. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> she loves Doctor Who. And when the Scottish Doctor was being premiered and it was going to be in theaters, mm-hmm. she's like, Natalie, I know you don't watch this a lot, but will you go with me? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm down for it. I'm <laughs> in it. And uh, but I loved it when he came to Scottish. He's like, I'm Scottish. And he just, I know that was a terrible accent, but I just love that vibrant like ah like i could be much worse yeah, yeah those good episodes. which was funny his tenants also scottish but he had a english accent so here's the first one that got to use a scottish accent uh the doctor explores the universe in a time traveling spaceship called a tardis which stands for time and relative dimension in space the tardis has always looked like a police box okay. but it's actually a malfunction <laughs> in in an earthly child, the pilot episode, we learned that the TARDIS is supposed to blend into whatever time and place it traveled to, but the cloaking device known as the chameleon circuit is broken. So it became the police box and then it could never change back to anything else. So that's why it's a police box. And it's oh. famously dimensionally transcendental, it means that it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> Everybody's heard that saying. And it contains an infinite number of rooms, corridors, storage spaces. There's actually like squash courses, a pool, and a library. There's the Matt Smith episode. He crashes the TARDIS. And they're like, why are you wet? And he's like, "Uh, the pool. (laughs) They're like, what are you doing? (laughs) It's really, oh, man. And the inside also changes with each doctor. So, like, there's, like, there's subtle nuances and another fun fact, on May 3rd, 1984, Brian Skiff discovered a new asteroid and named it Asteroid 3325 TARDIS. So, it has its own asteroid. The sonic screwdriver is great for getting the Doctor out of trouble. It first appeared in 1968's episode Fury from the Deep. It uses sonic waves to dismantle or fix equipment. It can also bypass locks unless they have a deadlock seal. And it also changes with each Doctor. So, I have the Matt Smith one. Because I'm a nerd. He's also accompanied by a number of companions. The doctor combats a variety of foes while working to save civilizations and help people in need. The primary companion acts as an audience surrogate because they're from Earth. They provide the lens through which the viewer is introduced to the series. A companion character often furthers the story by asking a lot of questions and they get into trouble or they actually help, <laughs> they need rescuing, and they challenge the doctor. So it kind of furthers his like growth. Because he's, like, intrigued by humans, but he's not human. So, like, there's, like, a whole thing. 
And if I can count right, and Wikipedia is not wrong, there's been 68 companions. God damn. Yeah. It's like the first doctor had like 10. Some of them just oh. had a couple. But yeah, some of the earlier before the 2005 reboot, they all had a lot. According to History Extra, the doctor stands for his values traditionally associated with Britishness. Uh, I found this a really cool take on the doctor here. So this is all a quote from History Extra. It says that he opposes injustice and resistance to tyranny. The many waves of alien invaders throughout the series history, not just the Daleks or the Cybermen, but the Centurions, Ice Warriors, Zygons, Adipose, Weeping Angels, and the rest can be seen as stand-ins for historic would-be invaders such as Philip II in Spain, Napoleonic France, and even Hitler's Germany. It's Lawman said that the Daleks, with their desire to exterminate all other life forms, was an allegory for the Holocaust. The 1975 story Genesis of the Daleks made this explicit by turning the Daleks' creator Davros into a ranting Hitlerite madman bent on mass genocide. So there's uh, this guy is a professor and he teaches a class on Doctor Who. So it's like a re- really interesting take on why people like Doctor Who so much because it's an allegory for like what happens in real life and. In this instance, you know, good always wins. And I mean, there's an episode where one of the companions punched Hitler in the face. And I thought that was just fantastic. So it's very wholesome. And like all successful long running culture phenomenon, Doctor Who has responded to changes in wider, like in the wider society and culture. The alien adversaries in 1960s, mainly the Daleks and the Cybermen reflected that decade's obsession with technology and, like, the idea that technology is going to rule over everybody. Kind of what we talked about last episode, about the fear of technology kind of led to people being afraid. <laughs> the Cybermen, who were arguably the more plausible enemy, compared to the Daleks, I guess, they were a product of dehumanized medicine. So they're not robots. They're just human beings that replace their flesh and bodies with mechanical parts. So that was kind of like an allegory for people's fear of what technology is going to do to us in the future. There are all sorts of reasons why the new Doctor has been successful and even more so than the classic series. For one thing, his production value actually matches like the storyline. So like, if you watch some of the original, like the first few episodes, I mean, the sets are basically cardboard and like the Daleks are just like a plunger and a whisk. Like, you know, they didn't have any money. So like now the production is really fantastical and it kind of matches, you know, what you would see at Star Trek. And so with his rise in popularity, it's here to stay. And I didn't realize this. Jodie Whittaker, who's the first woman doctor, she had the most watched episode in more than 10 years. She had 9 million people turn in to watch her episode. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, that's a lot of people. The show's been on for 60 years almost. Like, that's a lot of people. But yeah, but it was a big movement, though, when they went with a female Mm -hmm. doctor, though. Yeah. And I read some stuff that said that when they always knew the 13th was going to be a woman and that the oh. person that picked her, he wanted her and all her past work. She's really big in British films and TV shows. She was on, um, was it Deadwood? Tenet was in that uh, year. Is that Deadwood? I can't remember, but I do like her. I know I've seen her before. but yeah, And all her stuff's really serious, but he knew her personally and was like, your personality is perfect. So she was always like, if anybody seen my work, they wouldn't have hired me. But uh, <laughs> So she 
had the highest ranking episode in a decade. Only Christopher Eccleston. Oh, he has such a hard last name. His debut <laughs> was just slightly higher with 9.9 million. So he was the first doctor after that hiatus. And just wanted to end with a couple little more trivia things. So more than a hundred Doctor Who episodes are lost, which what? my my our hearts oh, Broadchurch. That's what it was. God damn it, Kina. Back in the 1960s and 70s, archiving media was just not a thing people thought about doing. As a result, more than 100 episodes of the show were deleted, destroyed, or lost. Do you know how many episodes there are total now? Just curious. I, like, I would assume there's hundreds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's... I was wondering if it breached a thousand almost. That's because I know there's so many seasons and... Um, as of March 2020, 861. Oh, almost. I was going to guess close to a thousand. Thank you. I look it up and my phone's like on 2%. Oh, no. (laughs) But the best part of this is that the series fan base was actually able to step in and help. And that a lot of people had recorded the episodes on VHS and they donated their copies to make sure that these survived. Oh, that was like the coolest thing ever. So people were able to rebuild the Doctor Who library. That's cool. That's the coolest. And initially, it seemed the very first episode of Doctor Who was one of the many that was lost to time, except in 1978, it was rediscovered in a mislabeled film can. It's just a happy <laughs> accident. Somebody found it. A 1979 episode is the most watched Doctor Who episode ever. City of Death, which aired in October of that year, featured the fourth Doctor and had 16 million viewers. That is a lot of people. Is there a reason why or just happened to get popular, like really popular around then? I don't know. My opinion is probably in the 70s, like there's nothing else to do. (laughs) There's only so many things on TV that it was probably more of a thing of everybody sitting down and watching it. It Well, that and probably more people had TVs by then too. It just became more normalized. Mm -hmm. And then the second was Voyage of the Damned, the 2007 Christmas episode starring Kylie Minogue with David Tennant. At 13.31 million. Hmm. Which the Christmas episodes are like really big. Like always something huge always happens on the Christmas episodes. So I can understand. I've seen a couple of those. (laughs) I really enjoy them. Ridley Scott was supposed to design the Daleks. So thank Blade Runner and Alien. What? Unfortunately, he did not. Oh. <laughs> the Scott who worked for the BBC at the time, Doctor Who's creation, was assigned the task of designing the Daleks. He ended up leaving the network to concentrate on being a director. So it did mm-hmm. not work out. There was a proposed Doctor Who movie starring Michael Jackson. Oh, So in the late 1980s, in the height of the Michael Jackson mania, Paramount Pictures proposed a Doctor Who movie with him. But it never happened. Several Doctor Words... A doctor whose words have made it into the dictionary. In 2017, Sonic Screwdriver was added. And there was other things like TARDIS, Dalek, Cybermen. They're all in the dictionary now. So uh, that was pretty interesting. Because it's, it's like in pop culture, but it's also in our language now. A 2008 episode of Doctor Who featured both a future doctor and a future companion. So that episode, Fires of Pompeii, which recreated the eruption of Mount Vesuvius fantastic episode by the way it stars peter capaldi who was a sculptor and then karen gillen who was a future companion 
she was uh, one of the soothsayers. And they kind of played it back to when Capaldi became doctor. That he's like, I've seen this face before. Like, he mentions that he's seen that guy before. Speaking of computers, you're talking about the Adams family, the giant computer. So in the 80s, personal computers were becoming a thing. So they used the fourth doctor to kind of hawk computers for people. So he was doing (laughs) basically like paid advertisements. (laughs) He was the spokesperson, spokes time lord for computers. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. When David Tennant was approached to become the 10th doctor, he was immediately enthusiastic. And his first response was, can I have a long swishy coat? seems like a normal reaction yeah and Matt Smith actually owned the tweed jacket that was his signature look for the 11th (laughs) that's cool (laughs) when the first season was being made television pirates were desperate to acquire the preview tapes one of the people in the office had the idea of labeling the tapes with the anagram Torchwood rather than Doctor Who as a security measure they do that with a lot of stuff Writer Russell T. Davies liked this idea so much that it later inspired him to name the spinoff series Torchwood. So they're like an organization within the Doctor Who universe. According to a report in the Radio Times in 2014, the 12th Doctor's white button-down shirt was added with the long black coat in Doc Martens to be a tribute to David Bowie's Station or Station to Station album cover in 1976. I thought that was like a cute little tribute. And Capaldi was actually the lead singer and guitarist of a punk band, punk rock band called the Dream Boys. And the drummer was future comedian Craig Ferguson. Yeah. Okay. Small world. <laughs> and then the last little fact is that they actually wanted Kate Winslet to play River Song. I did not know that. River Song is the doctor's wife. But I okay. love the actress that plays River. So I can't imagine anybody else, but I just find it interesting. So much more, but I, I know that was long, but I just try to. <sighs> and you can't help yourself. You say that every time, but it, I know it's a lie. I didn't touch on like basically anything to you. Like the history of the show is just insane. Oh, yeah. You picked a show that has like 800 episodes. We looked it up. <laughs> uh, it just, I love it. I just love how ingrained it is into their culture. Like it's. You know, yeah. like some of the doctors grew up to be actors just because of the doctor, and it's yeah. Doctor is an amazing show. It's one I've always been meaning to watch, but I think it's just intimidating because there's so much of it. Yeah, I think uh, my it, favorite part is like you can start with a doctor. And yeah, you're not that lost. Like I started with Matt Smith and worked. I think that. I remember. I remember as a kid, my dad watched one or two Doctors before Matt Smith. I remember he would watch Doctor Who every now and then. And I think I'd start with him. I think the eighth Doctor go from there. But I do, of the ones I've seen, randomly it's been Tenet or Matt Smith. And I do really enjoy them. Yeah. For sure. There's just, uh, and it's got a lot of history, you know, like, like, mention the the day of the doctor it's like queen elizabeth and i'm like fuck yeah so and like they've gone to pompeii mm-hmm. they they've done a lot of really cool stuff so it's I, it, I it's like a little history nerd like you know it's like dramatized and it's like a little goofy but yeah you get some really cute history and it's just like wholesome all right so what do you got for random all right so 
I was a little unsure because my word was hammer. <laughs> Thanks, um, <laughs> Yes. But I am like challenge accepted. So it really is like, thank you. My first thought was army hammer. Cool. And then I'm like, or maybe massive set constructions, you know, like building and whatnot. But I then stumbled upon something that I had no idea about. But first, I am going to talk about Army Hammer because <laughs> Army Hammer. <laughs> See, so a random fun fact is just how much he moved around. And he actually lived in the Cayman Islands for a little bit in 1993 oh. for like five years or so. And then he ended up coming back into the States. Like he was in Los Angeles and then Dallas and then Cayman Islands and then back in. Los Angeles. But as he got older, he actually started joining school plays and eventually he just like, I want to make this a thing and just blew up. For those who don't know, he's like in The Lone Ranger. Like that's one of my first movies I think of him in, even though I know he's not like, I have mixed feelings because he doesn't keep a Southern accent <laughs> in the movie, <laughs> along with whatever else people might have issues with. But that's what really bothered me constantly. Anyways, I digress. Um, in 2015, Hammer starred with Henry Cavill in the spy thriller The Man from Uncle. Oh. What we were just talking about earlier in weird TV shows, The Uncle. So this is a spy thriller, spy show. But this was the reboot. Oh, okay. And the rest is just more uh, movie trivia and stuff like that. But I just thought, I'm like, oh my gosh, he really moved around a lot. And uh, when I saw The Uncle thing, I'm like, oh, that's a connection. That's cool. Didn't he play twins on, was it the social yes. network? Is that what The Winklevoss twins? Yes, that's him. Yeah. And he played Clyde and Jay Edgar. Prince Alcott in Mirror Mirror. Oh. <laughs> More than what I thought for so, for me not really, only knowing like two movies he was in. But he's actually been in quite a bit. Anyways, so that's Army Hammer. Thank you for the hammer. But in my search... For this i i first thought well army hammer i wonder if there's anyone else named hammer and not really i can only think of john ham <laughs> i'm like that's close but not quite the cigar so i stumbled upon this little nugget and that is hammer production studios that makes movies oh this company Hammer Company. It was founded in November 1934 oh. and is the oldest film company in the world. What? Hammer is mostly known for its horror uh, because it came out with Dracula, The Curse of Frankenstein, and The Mummy. So all those old classic scary movies. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you, Stacey, for this word hammer because I never would have realized yeah. that all of this was connected. That's amazing. So Hammer was a back catalog of nearly 300 titles and a rich character canon, including classic monster, mobsters, psychopaths, and cave girls. <laughs> <laughs> the company has had a lasting impact on pop popular culture, paid homage in all manner releases from Frankenweenie to Jurassic Park and Shawshank Redemption. Oh, wow. All right, so let's start back in the 30s. So Hammer Film Productions was founded on 
5th of November. <laughs> Sorry, I think it's Eve for Vendetta. In 1934. And, oh, that makes me wonder, because isn't V for Vendetta taking place in 2020? So we got to watch out for the 5th of November. Something's going down. Oh, is it 2020? Yes, I've been seeing that meme pop up a lot. Oh, I need to rewatch that. Me too. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, same. I think I've seen it once. Around <laughs> when it came out. Anyways, in the pre-war period, Hammer's output ranged from comedy, like The Public Life of Henry the Ninth, and slave drama, The Song of Freedom, starring Paul Robinson, and also featured The Mystery of the Marie Celeste. And... So in the 1940s, with a growing demand of British-produced supporting movies from the Second World War, Hammer was a reformed and began to dabble in crime, capers, and boys who owned adventure stories. Oh, man. <laughs> in the 1950s, so this is pre-Quartermass, it was business as usual for Hammer, you know, when the 50s opened and producing a steady supply of drama, documentaries, and all kinds of like play along films in the cinemas. And 1951, Hammer began to co produce its films with the US producer Robert Lippert, <laughs> enabling the company to develop its North American market. So, honing its craft and company largely, largely focused on crime thrillers and films noir, such as Man Bait. Sorry. Manbait, Bad Blonde, and Terror Street. Manbait is like a poster of a hot woman, by the way. Oh, you haven't guessed that. That's what makes me laugh so much. (laughs) Manbait. It's just priceless. Um, In 1954, Hammer returned to adventure stories with its first color feature film, The Men of Sherwood Forest. Oh. So the 1950s Quartermass. So 1955, one film, The Quartermass Experiment, changed the course of Hammer's film production outposts almost overnight. A commercial and critical hit, the film posed the question, what might happen if an alien virus really was brought back to Earth? COVID-19. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Um, I got to witness the ensuing chaos through some special effects. And it's called the quarter mass experiment. And it's basically a virus crazy movie. And at that time it was like a super unknown thing. Huh. There's also the unknown. And there's also the movie enemy from space. And later in the fifties, hammer switch focus from struggling crime thriller pictures to mostly horror and the company made history with its full color feature the course of the curse of frankenstein blood gore extravagant costumes and the sets were presented in vibrant color enraging those sensors (laughs) but delighting audience in equal measure oh that's amazing the staggering success of the curse of frankenstein was followed by the even greater box office hall of Horror of Dracula, just one year later. And with those two films alone, Hammer had cemented the company name with audience and film critics and censors alike. And the monster movie 
was back. So Hammer jumped at the opportunity and they then came out with the Abominable Snowman Mm -hmm. in 1957 and The Mummy in 1959. Wow. These were like all the cult classics. I know. Uh, There's The Man Who Cheated Death, The Revenge of Frankenstein, The Hound of Baskervilles. Oh, I've heard of that. That was a Doctor Who episode, I think. No, <laughs> wait, that's Sherlock. Never mind. <laughs> oh, um, as well as horror, horror, Hammer continued to produce a widely variety of genres, including comedy and drama. The company's comedy output included The Creek in 58 and Dr. Jekyll um, inspired The Ugly Ducking, Duckling. The oh. Ugly Duckling in 1959. Huh. The end of the decade saw a series of war films, some notably like The Camp of Blood Island. And that one received actually really good reviews and some critical acclaim. Critical acclaim. Cool. Um, so the 60s. Hammer's success with the horror genre, saw it develop sequels to its existing titles. Um, again, we're going full color with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, The Phantom of the Opera. Ooh. The company also focused straight literary adaptations like The Devil Rides Out, The Witches, hmm. She, the, Re- the Vengeance of She, and The Old Dark House. Despite their success here, Hammer continued to experiment with other genres, uh, some of the most critically praised being its string of psychological thrillers like The Nanny, starring Academy Award winner uh, Bette Davis, and Scream of Fear, starring Susan Strasberg, and Panoramic, starring Oliver Reed. The decade also saw production of the company's first television series, uh, Journey to the Unknown. And I've actually heard of that, if not yeah. seen it. And yeah, that too. which is an anthology series airing on ABC television. Um, Brides of Dracula, that's another fun one. Huh. Jekyll's Inferno. Wow. Uh, these like are Monopoly on like Universal Monster Universe before they even had it. Yeah. This is like the Oh, jeez. Uh, Scream of Fear. Captain Clegg, which is like a lot of skeletons riding horse skeletons. <laughs> and Technicolor. Ooh. Uh, oh, there's the nanny, Dracula Prince. It's showing me the movie posters, so I highly recommend checking these out because that's just kind of fun. Yeah. So the 70s, by 1970, the British film industry was beginning to suffer financially as the arrival of color television, bum, 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 mm. um, contributed to a sharp decline in box office revenues. There was celebrations all around in 1971 when Dinosaurs Ruled the Earth was nominated for an, an Academy Award. Oh, wow. Uh, the financial climate forced Hammer to seek novel ways to spice, spice up its output and it focused on the female vampire, Countess Dracula. <laughs> oh. 
And also The Legend of Seven Golden Vampires. That's another thriller. Oh, and Shatter. However, by the middle of the decade, the game was up. Gothic horror was out of fashion and Hammer couldn't find backers for production. To the Devil, <laughs> to the Devil a Daughter was the company's last horror film of the 20th century. Oh wow! But wait, in the 1980s, although no longer a force of horror cinema, Hammer discovered another outlet of horror production: television. <laughs> so Hammer House of Horror contained tales of genuine horror lace with a twinkle of dark humor, and it followed up with Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense, which was a little 13 mini thrillers. They featured a cast as diverse as Peter Cushing, Brian Cox, David Carradine, Stephanie Bachman, Beachman, sorry, Stephanie Beachman, Deanna Doors, and Pierce Brosnan. Oh, I, I only recognize Pierce. <laughs> So, like the 1980s had TV, they actually dropped out of the scene for quite some time. But then in the 2010s, oh, 2010s wow. they come back. Hammer marked its return to features in 2010 with the release of critically acclaimed Let Me In. Oh, I've heard of that. I've seen it. It's actually really good. It's kind of an independent film almost. Okay. Um, or has that vibe, which is a adaptation of the Swedish film that I can't pronounce, but it's <laughs> uh, Swedish. There's a cool. lot of like accents over letters and stuff. I don't know what that means, like dashes and dots and things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the film was written and directed by Matt Reeves, who did a Cloverfield, and it stars Chloe Moretz or Moretz. I don't know. She's Sounds good. <laughs> I mean, it's Chloe. She was in Kick-Ass, and she's been, she was in that cello movie that's depressing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, along with, like, 800 other films. Because um, I think she's an amazing actress. Mm-hmm. In 2011, Hammer released The Resident, which stars Hilary Swank. And, um, and Christopher Lee. Oh. And as well as criti- critically lauded uh, Wake Wood, directed by David Keating. February 2012 saw the theatrical release of their first ever feature ghost story, The Woman in Black. <gasps> I have seen that one. Daniel Radcliffe. What, what? Yes, ma'am. Um, and then The Quiet Ones, starring Jared Harris from Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, and same Sam laughing from the hunger games catching fire oh, okay and olivia cook bates motel and of course the sequel woman in black angel of death was also one of hammers okay. and it's the first sequel in 41 years oh wow i don't think i saw the sequel i did not either because that daniel radcliffe's not in it yeah <laughs> um but I have seen Let Me In. I have seen The Woman in Black. And I know I've heard of The Resident, but I don't know if I've seen it. Yeah. But, yeah, that's it. I just love that They're, they are back in business making stuff. 
again. Oh, that's cool. And if Stacy had not given me the word hammer, I would not have known any of this. I know, I love the random words because it really gives you a, a challenge to find something that fits, but you end up finding something completely amazing you had never Googled before. Exactly. That's- and and to be something actually really historic, 1934 is oh, when this yeah. production company started. Yeah, I don't think um, I would ever thought 30s as like movie production. I mean, I know there was, but that's just so old. <laughs> yeah, not as established as now. And yeah. it, this is the oldest film in the world, this company. Mm, that's um, amazing. It's just really cool. That's so cool. So thank you for the word hammer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quick reminder, you can, uh, if you join Patreon and you're a brilliant AF and above, you get to pick our random words. So, you know, join Patreon if you want to do cool stuff and watch us live for like 20 million hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love the comments. I love the interactiveness. Yes. Of it. It's amazing. And you guys are so much funnier than me. It just cracks me up. And then I'm like, oh, why didn't I come up with that joke? <laughs> it's a good time. Oh, so if you want to join Patreon, that's patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And uh, yeah. And of course, check out all of our social media. Yeah. So be sure to check out all of our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz, historical AF pod to see. Um, excellent memes and I was like they really make me laugh and of course so you can visually see what we're talking about like yeah. the Hammer production movies we'll probably post some of the posters from this and mm-hmm. give it a google yeah and if you have a story for us to talk about on our next extra AF that's historicalafpod at gmail.com merch yeah we got merch uh, shop.spreadshirt.com slash historicalafpod you can tell I'm tired, huh? I'm just like, yeah. Uh. Like, stop, right? It is 11. Uh, I, I've been up since like six, maybe earlier. I don't know. I woke up at like four and I was like, God damn it, I'm not tired. And then, yeah. Uh, I hate when that happens. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. And definitely, if you have a TV story or your favorite TV, let us know. Social media works. Definitely. Us. It's uh, obviously a huge part of our lives. <laughs> we want to hear about it. <laughs> Love TV. All right, guys. We'll see you next week with another theme. You don't know what it is, do you? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good night, guys. That's all for me. <laughs> <laughs> We're tapping out. <laughs> all right. We'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Okay, bye.